Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, before we jump into this week's interview, I want to thank the latest Raiders of the How to Talk to Kids About Anything podcast. Thank you so much for the five-star reviews. They really make a huge difference. You can't even imagine. So thank you to Ricky Ridgeway, who, along with her five-star rating, wrote, Dr. Robin is an expert in her field. I would highly recommend uh, her work for anyone who has kids or works with them. Thank you for that. And to Kim Van Art, who wrote very helpful podcasts filled with information for parents and educators. Really enjoy her interview style. Thank you. And appreciate the level of research she does on each guest. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I do read everybody's book who comes on the show. I think that's what's necessary to do a great interview for all of you who are listening. Uh, That's what you deserve. And to show respect to the guests I have on because they've worked their butts off in their field of interest and to write a book, it takes a lot. I can say this because as somebody who is writing a book right now based on this podcast, How to Talk to Kids About Anything, I can tell you it's a lot of work and very much worth it because it's for all of you. We are in this together. I appreciate you. Again, thank you for those five-star reviews. And if you could pop over to iTunes and rate and review this podcast, the five-star reviews help to get this podcast seen and heard. All right, let's move forward. Now, are you concerned with how much screen time your kids are using? What kind of digital reputation they are creating or their self-esteem? Is it being impacted by certain apps or cyber cyber bullying or sexting or exposure to possible predators? How about clickbait, deep fakes, fake news, or the like? There's a lot of information out there and it's here to stay. We can't stick our heads in the sand and simply say, I wish all this technology didn't exist, or I remember when I was young and didn't have to contend with that. Can't we just go back? Honestly, I've said that myself, so uh, believe me, it's not just you if you're doing it. This is when and where our children live, like it or not. This technology is here to stay. Some of it is fabulous. Some of it, uh, we need to learn how to live with it. The cyber world is just our kids' world. We need to know how to navigate it and how to help our children navigate it with confidence, responsibility, and knowledge. They need to learn how to become tech-savvy and cyber-wise. For this discussion, we're going to talk to our friend Diana Graber for a second time. There's been a lot since we last talked. Now, Diana is the author of Raising Humans in a Digital World, Helping Kids Build a Healthy Relationship with Technology. That's a great book. She's a co-founder of CyberWise, also known as No Grown Up Left Behind. Thank you for that. And founder of CyberCivics, the popular middle school digital literacy curriculum. 
Today, cyber civics is taught in schools in 48 U.S. states and internationally, and it was honored as an innovation in education finalist by Project Tomorrow and the OC Tech Alliance. Graber is a regular contributor on digital media topics for Psychology Today and others, and is regularly interviewed by the media regarding tech topics. She's been an adjunct professor of media psychology, teaching media psychology for the 21st century, and she presents regularly virtually since COVID, to schools and community organizations around the U.S., and she also conducts teacher workshops. As I mentioned, this is the second time we've had the pleasure of having Diana with us. It's been a while, so welcome, and thank you for being here, Diana Graber. Oh, you're so welcome. It's a pleasure to be back. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. Before we leap into everything, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what has propelled you forward since we last talked to really be working with kids on how to use technology responsibly? Oh boy. Well, I think coffee gets me up in the morning if I'm mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Coffee. You know, I'm just really passionate about empowering kids with the skills they need to be really great online. And you know, that keeps me going. Every year that I do this, I, I'm able to see more results of our work of kids who have finished our cyber civics curriculum and how they move into high school and college and really use technology differently. So I'm pretty excited about it. I feel like the world is sort of catching up and understanding that, you know, this stuff isn't going away. We need to face the world that our kids are facing, talk to them about it, as you always say, and help them have the skills to use technology wisely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so important. I was talking to Lisa Heffernan of Grown and Flown, and she had said to me on our interview that you know, this, these worlds that, that our kids are in are not going anywhere. Like we can sit there and think about our fabulous child childhoods in the eighties and the nineties and the seventies and the two thousands. And like, think about how we didn't have all these interruptions with technology and how we didn't have to contend with so much of this, but she's like, this is not the world they're living in. Like, this is the world they're in now. Just like we say, like, this is the skin they're in. This is the world they're living in. Right, right. So we have to just, we have to just embrace it. So let's start with screen time because you and I have talked about this privately. Like screen time is still one of those real hot button issues. Hey, I have tweens. It is an issue. Most parents seem to worry about how much time their kids are spending online. Research shows that over 50% of kids think that they spend too much time online too. So how much is too much and what should parents really be focused on, especially if they feel like the kids are always on their phones or always gaming instead of doing other things like playing outside or with what they would say is real friends or doing more traditional activities like gymnastics, dance, soccer, or the like. Right. Well, you know, it's funny because screen time has always been the biggest concern that we hear about from parents. Mm. And I thought that would change with COVID, but it has not. Like now parents are still really worried about screen time. Yeah. And I think like if COVID has taught us anything, it's to take a really hard look at what kids are using screens for. Because we learned, you know, the research shows that they use screens primarily for schoolwork because they had to. 
and also to, to maintain their connections with family and friends. And those are two really important uses of screen time. So what I'm always telling parents now is like, let's throw the screen time <laughs> term out the window mm. and look at screen use. It's really important to look at what your children are using screens for. Because a lot of times, you know, if kids are, they're curious about a topic, you know, they're not going to go to the dictionary and look it up or an encyclopedia. They're going to go to Google or YouTube and look it up. So they may be using screens for that. Or they may be doing using screens to continue a conversation they started during the school day. So those are pretty cool uses of screen time versus just mindlessly watching Netflix videos, which I think adults do more than kids. Mm. So yeah. it's really about the content rather than the time. So true or false, kids should be able to be locked in their rooms online. Oh, well, that depends on the age. <laughs> you know, I, I, I am a big advocate for holding off as long as you can. Mm -hmm. you know, giving those examples, I'm talking about older kids. I think, you know, social media use should not happen before age 13. Reasons. Mm -hmm. um, number one, social media companies require users to be at least 13 years of age. It takes up to 13 years of age for kids to develop the ethical thinking skills they need to use when they encounter all kinds of things online. And number three, let's go back to the content. That's the biggest one for me. Kids get their news primarily from their devices. The news right now is frightening horrifying, scary. Yeah, so yeah. a child, just think about this for a second. Think of a nine-year-old locked alone in their room, looking at images live from what's happening, you know, in Ukraine right now. No child should have to deal with that alone, let alone a nine-year-old. So, you know, age is so important when we have this conversation. Mm -hmm. Agreed on that. Okay. So, True or false, kids should be able to make their own plan on how much screen time they use. Ooh, can I say in between? Part yeah, you can. Adults? I'm like square in the middle. And the reason for this is I think parent and child should work together to come up with an agreement on how much screen time is appropriate for that child based on age and stage and use. What do they need it for? I mean, if you tell your child, you can only have one hour a day at screen time and all of a sudden they've got three hours of homework they have to do on their screen and mm -hmm. it's not a very good, you know, limit. So right. I think that's something, again, sit with your child depending on the age and stage and determine what's appropriate for that child. Okay. Okay. True or false, video gaming is harmful to my child's mental health. Again, it depends. You know, there's a lot of studies that show the downsides of video gaming. And there's a lot of studies that show the benefits of video gaming. It depends the game they're playing. It depends who they're playing with. It depends mm -hmm. if playing alone <laughs> or with multiple people. It depends on a lot of things. So, you know, you've got to take a close look at the game. What's in the game, <laughs> you know, is it a lot of killing or is it just fun cartoon characters? And who are they playing with? You know, this is, it requires so much time of parents because you can't just expect that this is happening in a safe environment. You have to go in, take a look, maybe play with them, make those decisions again, based on your child's age and stage. Okay. Final, final true or false, which probably has similar answers. TikTok and Snapchat and Snapchat are harmful to my child's mental health. 
Boy, again, we're in the middle here because we have to remember that both of those things are tools. So they inherently aren't the thing that is damaging to your child's mental health. It's what they're looking at, at on Snapchat and TikTok. So, you know, let's say in TikTok, you've got a young girl, an adolescent girl that's looking at, you know, influencers that are showing these unattainable images of beauty that could be damaging to your child's mental health. Let's say another child, same age, is interested in climate change and looks at multiple TikTok videos on climate change. That probably is not damaging to their mm -hmm. mental health. So again, content really matters. Okay, excellent. So let's move on to reputation management. Another area that you talk about in your book and in your curriculum and one that we've discussed uh, at length um, online, but also I think we have even mentioned it in our previous time together. You say that a good online reputation helps kids get into college and land the jobs of their dreams. The last time we talked, in fact, we, we discussed the Harvard situation where the kids were uh, not allowed in the college because of what they did. According to Kaplan Test Prep, more than two thirds of colleges at 68% say it's fair game to review an applicant's digital reputation. Nearly one in 10 colleges surveyed said that they had revoked an incoming student's offer based on something they found online. So should parents be worried? What are parents really worried about and what should we be telling our children in order to ensure that they see what they put on social media can inform how they are perceived both now and later? Right. And, you know, parents are going to worry regardless. So I can't stop that. <laughs> what I can right. is there's things that we can do to help our children. And number one, just to get across the message that anything you put online stays online forever and can be seen by anyone and everyone. That is a really complex con concept for a young child to understand because when you hand a young child a connected device, they're so excited to put up that stupid selfie or to post something mm -hmm. doing inappropriate. They don't think about long-term consequences because their brain can't do it. So right. again, if you could just hold off a little bit and have those conversations with your children before they start posting things that could impact their future. Now, will it impact their future? Well, take a look what's happening out there in the world right now. I know out here in California, the UCs are no longer gonna use um, test scores. So there's gonna be less for colleges to go on for them to decide who to admit. So that's why social media is important because if there's a question about a child, why not look them up? Today, our social media is our calling card. It's where people go to find out what kind of person we are. So really encourage your children to try to, you know, not only be thoughtful about putting things up there that might be embarrassing to them later, but put up positive things and, and nice things and interesting things to show what a good person you are. Mm. I just mm. think that's so important today. Mm. I think that's such a great add to the conversation that you're creating a reputation that's positive, not just trying to avoid a reputation that's negative. Exactly. And it's, and it's kind of easy to do once you get into the swing of it and you practice it with your child, you know, I mean, like we did the most simple exercise last week in our cyber civics class. And I was telling the kids that even when you comment on people's posts and things like that, that contributes to your reputation. So let's practice commenting respectfully and thoughtfully. 
and giving them tips on how to do that. Like if someone writes a blog post that you hate, you don't say that sucks. You say, gosh, I have some, you know, I have some questions about this. You know, what do you think about this? Just teaching kids how to be respectful online mm. and commenting is just a simple skill that you can do with your own children that will actually impact their digital reputation. So with regard to that, like the idea of should I post this or not, what is the brain process or the step-by-step -step that we want our kids to go through? Is there some kind of criteria that they should be going through before they throw something up online, either as a comment or as a photo or anything else? Well, I give the kids a big, long checklist when we do that activity that we did last week. But to simplify it, I mm -hmm. always tell kids, um, would your grandmother like to see this? No. Yes. <laughs> or your mother, would your mother like to see this? Very simple. Mm -hmm. We want them to consider what they post through the eyes of an adult. Because mm -hmm. for a child, you know, posting something silly or inappropriate is completely normal because they get their own humor. But we want them to think what an adult might think about what they see. And again, this is another lesson we do. I have the kids pretend that they're college admissions officers and I have them review to fake applicants and I've put together like this background of digital stuff that they've posted and the kids analyze it as though they were the college counselor. And you'd be surprised how analytical kids can be when they're pretending to be adults. They're actually mm. harder on themselves than we would ever be. But little activities like that really help kids practice that skill so that when they go do things and they are about to post them online, hopefully they'll take that pause and think about the things they've learned. So. I know that this will be, <clears throat> so I know that this will be a little bit simplified, but could you give us like a couple of do's and don'ts with regard to safety, reputation, and fairness when it comes to, should I post this? Obviously do, do think about your grandmother and how yeah. she might react. What might be some other do's and don'ts that would, would be good for a kid to remember obviously can't remember a huge checklist, but like a few that would be something you'd love for your kid to have in their brain. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do it in two ways. First, I'm going to give the parents the list of don'ts. Okay. I think that's super helpful. So when it comes to digital reputation or anything technology wise, don't lecture because kids that's going to go in one year and out the other, because they know that we did not grow up with this stuff. Um, and so it's like, you know, that's not going to work. Don't use fear tactics because again, they're very excited. This is where their friends are. They're having fun. So fear is not going to work. And don't take their devices away if they make a mistake. I mean, you need to teach them how to use it carefully. And uh, we know from research that kids will hide things from their parents if they think that the punishment is having their device taken away. Mm. So instead, maybe think of other consequences. So those are my three don'ts for parents. As far as for kids, the do's. Number one, always remember that behind every screen is a real person with real feelings. So mm -hmm. if you're gonna post something, um, really consider the impact it has on all kinds of people. And the reason I'm putting this in your section about digital reputation is that what kids have to remember is that when they post something and maybe tag a friend, that contributes to their friend's digital reputation. So be kind and thoughtful about that. And mm -hmm. number two, what I already said, is um, would your grandmother like to see this? <laughs> and then, I mean, if you can get your children, those are two, those are two, mm -hmm. you know, be kind and thoughtful. There's a, a person and would your grandmother like to see this? Mm -hmm. Very 
things when it comes to digital reputation? I think those are so good and so concrete. Um, I have actually talked to my kids about that and said, you know, I want you to imagine Grammy sitting next to you and looking over your shoulder. Like, would you feel embarrassed by that? Like, would you be okay with her seeing what you're doing? Because I think it's a good guideline to imagine the actual person next to you or reading it and being like, you know, these are people who could read it. And obviously to your point before that, a college scout can also be reading it and making some pretty big choices about your future based on your past. Yeah. And you know why that's important to underscore with kids is because when they're posting, they're thinking that their only audience is their peers. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to show off. They're trying to fit in. They're trying to be funny. And they forget that the audience is a lot more than just their peers. It's people they don't even know. It's adult relatives. And so that's why doing these activities where they have to pretend to be an adult looking at the social media of somebody else reminds them of all the eyes that can be on the things they post. What a great program you have. That's, that's really terrific. Now, research conducted by Cyberbullying Research Center shows that on average, about 28% of students say that they've been a victim of cyberbullying at some point in their lives. Even more will observe others being cyberbullied. So what are the conversations that we should be having with our kids about cyberbullying? And when should we start those? Well, again, those conversations should start the moment you hand your child a connected device, because as you just mentioned, so many kids not only will be cyberbullied, but what's disturbing to me is how many kids will see cyberbullying. So I think one of the most important conversations is to talk about what to do if you see it, because that's more likely your child's going to see someone being cyberbullied. And it's so easy to intervene in a cyberbullying situation. That's where it's different from online or offline bullying Mm -hmm. is like, when it's online, everybody sees it. That means everybody can do something about it. So I like to talk to kids about being an upstander and being an upstander, again, three things you can do. You can give comfort to the victim or the target, as I like to call them. I'm sorry, I use the word victim. Give comfort to the target. You can report it to the social media network where it happens. All of these networks have ways to report cyberbullying and it's really important to do that. And number three, you can talk to a trusted adult and tell them what's happening so that they can step in if needed. Three Mm -hmm. easy ways to, I think if kids did those things, we'd see a lot less cyberbullying happening. And you're not going to get hit in the face. Right, right. I mean, it's, you know, that's the thing. It's like, it's not physical. It's still hurtful and harmful, you know? So we have to remember that for kids, it's not physical, but it's the emotional feeling of cyberbullying is pretty intense. Yeah. So are there some kind of creative ways to help them understand these types of concepts besides the lecture that you've warned us against? Yeah. So we're doing that actually today. I'm, I'm in the middle of teaching our unit on cyberbullying and we have multiple different, different activities that we do with the kids to help, help them really kind of remember this stuff. And today what I'm doing is um, we talk about how kids often operate behind an avatar and that makes it really easy for kids to kind of forget that there's a real person there. Cause you're like, well, I'm just being mean to this cartoon character. That's not <laughs> person. You know what I mean? And so I'm, I'm having them actually draw avatars that they use online and then uh, write on the front of their card, 
the attributes that avatar portrays to the world and then turn it over and say, but how do you really feel? Like, what are three things you never would like people to know that you feel when you're online? And I love doing this activity because invariably kids draw these avatars that they're brave, they're strong, they're funny, they're cute. And then when they turn their cards over, you see kids are hiding things like, I'm very shy or I'm feeling sad or, you know, mm. and I love to read those aloud because it reminds kids of the fact that, you know, you're not seeing the full picture when you look at stuff, you know, we always hear about Facebook, everyone's living their best life, right? But in the real world, that's not the case. Everyone's no. dealing with the same insecurities and the same problems and the same issues. So it's a real simple way to get kids to understand that. Yeah, that there's a person behind there because there's a person behind yours. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you're being mean to an avatar online, there's somebody back there that's feeling hurt, you know? Mm-hmm. 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 So you bring up a good point with regard to self-esteem, really. So would you say that Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and other similar apps are a danger to our child's self-esteem? Or what is your official statement about that? Well, I think they can be. And the one that's really been in the spotlight for that is Instagram, you know, because of the Facebook files and all that. Yes. And I get it because Instagram is so visually driven and it's really different from Snapchat. Snapchat, they throw up a silly picture. It goes away, you know, no big deal. Instagram, your pictures become your profile and kids really curate that. They want to look pretty. They want to have everything kind of match. And there's a lot of um, pressure to meet these idealized stereotypical images, you know? So, you know, research has shown that for some adolescents that contributes to low well-being. Mm. Um, so there's ways to combat that, which we do heavily in our curriculum in the third year. We talk about stereotypes in the media. We talk about visual literacy and how things are doctored. Um, face tuning is very popular today. Um, most of the cure images that you see on Instagram that look so cute are face tuned, which is the kid's version of Photoshopping. So we talk about that and how it works. And, you know, I think these conversations are really, really important because I don't really see social media changing. You know, it's going to take a lot for legislation to happen or whatever for that to change. You know, beautiful Mm -hmm. images have been part of media forever. Right. I mean, I've been teaching that aspect for so, I mean, since the 90s. So, Yeah. yeah. I mean, Cosmo Magazine, Vogue Magazine, come on. we all. I mean, I used to teach when I would teach small groups of uh, pre-adolescent girls, I did like a group from age eight to 12, where I would show them doctored up images from you know the original to how it was doctored up and photoshopped and retouched. Right. Uh, and, and they would go bananas over it. You know, they'd be like, right. wait a second, they just shaved off part of her arm. I mean, it was exactly. a real- it was a, it was, it was a big moment for these yeah. kids to realize. And I still remember this girl going, wait a second. Does that mean that the person on the cover of the magazine doesn't actually look like the cover of the magazine? Right. Yes, that's exactly what it means. But here we are having the same conversation now that, and they see it, that the person on, you know, on the street that they photograph somehow doesn't look anything like the picture that they put up. And why is that? Yeah, it is a big aha moment. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because it is important to have those moments with kids because we're adults and we're like, yeah, that's Photoshop. We know how that all works. Kids don't. 
Mm. You know, you got to take them through the steps. Right. And we have to remember this has been around forever. It's easier than ever. It takes a second to <laughs> make something look beautiful online. So mm. take a few seconds to explain that to your children. Yes. I, I think I, I would need to do a little bit more research on face tuning. Do they have the same kind of thing where they show a before and after with face tuning? I would imagine. Oh, I mean, there's all kinds of things you can find online that will show you that. Yeah. Um, you know, but kids just use the tool and, you know, that's how those images. It's in their hands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, that app had some, some astronomical growth during COVID. It's crazy. Mm. That is crazy. What about with regard to sexting? Is this really very prevalent? And how can we ensure that our kids aren't on either side of the text message or the one forwarding it along? Right. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that's the thing about sexting. Um, it's, it's considered sexting, whether you are the sender or the receiver mm. image that is sexually provocative. Okay. So think about that for a second. It's a pretty serious thing if you get caught, right? Um, and what if you're just this person that gets the sexting image on your phone and all of a sudden you could be in big trouble if someone knows you have that image on your phone. So it's important for kids to know that, that on both ends of it, it's very serious and to know what sexting is and to know what the laws are, are in your state. In every state, it's different. Um, unfortunately, the laws haven't caught up everywhere. So it's considered child pornography. So if you're the holder of child pornography on your phone, that's a pretty serious thing. Um, it's interesting when I teach kids about sexting, I do it right after the visual literacy unit that we teach. And during that unit, we've just looked at all these beautiful images that they see all the time. And a lot of times they're celebrities that are practically naked, right? Mm. Mm. Then they learn that should they exchange the same kind of images amongst themselves, they could be in really hot water. Mm. So that's confusing to kids, you know, but that's just how it is in our mm. society today. So really important to talk to kids about sexting. I can't believe how many kids go into high school without understanding the serious consequences of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And what would you say then, given that we want our kids to feel like we trust them and that we're not going through all of their stuff, uh, we, we often talk about, you know, trying to let go over time so that these kids can, you know, be able to govern themselves. And like, could we, should we be looking through their pictures and seeing what's, what they're taking pictures of or what they're sending? And what if we do find a photo that we find to be disturbing in that way or approaching the line? Yeah. So this is work that starts really young. Um, and, and I, this is, I go extensively into this in my book, but I think that, you know, raising a human today is like building a house. It takes a long time. There's a lot of parts to it. And your house is as good as you, it, you want it to be if you put time into it. So it's the same thing being a digital parent. You know, from day one, when you're using technology with your little kid, let's say you're sending an email to whoever, set the child on your lap, write it together, talk about how you're using kind words, whatever. But the, the point is to be like their, their um, partner partner in crime, mm -hmm. <laughs> and partner technology crime all through their ages and stages. So as they get older, play video games together, ask about the game. How does it work? Who are you playing with? 
And then it's, when they start using social media, hey, you want to get TikTok? I'll get TikTok too. Let's both sign up and we'll do the thing where we pair our accounts so that we can see what each other's doing. And Snapchat, hey, I'll get Snapchat. Let's send each other snaps. And so that sounds silly, but if you start it when they're young, they're used to having you in their world. And they, mm. just like you're going to be, you know, you're going to be in the same neighborhood they are to make sure they're okay playing with their friends. You're going to do the same thing online. So that it's not weird to them when mom all of a sudden is part of their social media life when they're a teenager, you know, because if you start this when they're like 14 and you're like, oh, I'm going to look over your shoulder to see who you're texting. That's weird. Yeah, <laughs> that is weird. So, yeah. I mean, what about the parents who are listening to this right now? And they're like, all right, my kid's 13, you know, um, we're no longer I mean, I've never been necessarily on the same social media as my daughter. Now, what do I do? Yeah. Well, if your child's 13, they should be just now getting social media. Mm -hmm. Good point. To just now do it too. So, and I always say this, like, Hey, 13, you want Snapchat? Okay. I'm getting Snapchat too. And let's try it together. Mm -hmm. you know, I guess you're probably asking more about the 15 year old. Yeah, maybe, maybe the 15 year old. Sorry, like, you know, it's late. And the thing that happens with, at that age is like, even if you were to check their text messages, which a lot of parents that I know do, um, that's not where they're chatting with each other they're chatting, they're sending text messages via their apps like Snapchat because you can't see them and they disappear. So, right. you know, kids are really smart about hiding their digital lives from their parents. Um, that's why your best bet to know what they're doing is to have that open door of communication from day one. Mm. It's mm. hard to do. I know. I mean, it sounds easy when we're, you and I are here talking about it, right? but it's just work, you know? Yeah. It's like, I keep, I keep going back to the name of your show, how to talk to your kids about anything. I mean, that is what it's all about with technology. You have to be able to talk to them about this stuff and be open so that they can talk to you. They're going to encounter things that are confusing, scary, or they don't understand mm -hmm. you want them to be able to come to you with those questions. Mm -hmm. So this is sort of new. I mean, not new, but new for us to be talking about. I certainly haven't talked about it online, but there's been obviously over the last many years, this talk about fake news, fake news, everything's fake news, deep fakes, oh, clickbait is a big thing now. And we know, I mean, we talked about this in the beginning, like our kids are doing research for school and they're needing to be online. And, you know, a lot of people don't know what to click anymore at all. You know, what's real, what's fake. And it's really provocative. My, my son was telling me about something the other day, like how he felt like baited into clicking on something that there was some kind of something related to a game or something that he loved that, you know, there was some kind of title and he was like, I'm not going to fall for that, you know? So yeah. My kids, again, they have to do research online for school. They, you know, they're looking maybe at current events through social media channels. They're, you know, they're, they're interested in all different things. They're looking up all kinds of things. So how do we teach our kids about how to use the internet when they're researching for homework or they're curious normally, and they don't get sucked into what's not true or even wind up perpetuating harmful myths? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say, um, First of all, if your kid's going to school and they're not teaching digital literacy, you need to call your school and ask them why not. I, I feel like that is so important. And I'm like, after doing all this research on you and, and knowing that I'm writing a chapter on this and you're know, rereading your book, I'm like, what in the world? Like, are they teaching this at, the, at my kid's school? Because they need to. 
It's unconscionable if they're not, because you know, you, you asked such a complex question because there's so many parts to that. To understand what I call either information literacy or media literacy, I'll kind of take you through the steps as quickly as I can. And I'm gonna leave steps out, but you have to understand how the internet works. Like how does search work? When you put a term in, like how does it take your words and give, give you what you need? Like, are you getting ads? Are you getting sponsored content? And then when you, when you read things, like how do you know if something's clickbait and do you click on it? And what if you don't click on it? And how, you know, it's like, what, what are algorithms and you know, all this, what is misinformation and what are the steps for detecting misinformation? And how do you know what visual literacy is and has something been doctored? It goes on and on and on. Like it's not a one time, like, hey kid, don't do this. Mm -hmm. You have to understand the whole ecosystem of how information works. And, you know, it's, you think about like reading or literacy, digital literacy is today's literacy. You know, it takes a while to teach a kid how to read a novel. You know, mm -hmm. you don't hand him a novel in kindergarten. You take them through all the steps on how to get there. And it's the same thing with learning how to get information off the internet. They have to understand a lot of things in order to be a really savvy internet researcher. Mm. Mm. So is there a first step that you would say our listeners could do uh, where they're now at the picture book level of showing their kindergartner, <laughs> but it's, it's digital literacy, like of what it, what even fake news is? Yeah. I mean, there is great things you can do with a kid that's young. If you find something on the internet, I mean, ask really simple questions like, gosh, who wrote this? Who's the author? Who, is this a real person? Does this person know what they're talking about? <laughs> you know? right. Look up the author. I mean, if you're reading a book about, if you're reading like maybe a story with your kids about like, you know, I don't know, um, trucks or whatever, like, hey, let's, let's look up the author and see who it is. And if it's somebody who actually is knowledgeable about trucks. I mean, that's mm. a very easy first step. And nice. then also the other thing, like find out if things are paid for. Is this like, a, a natural article or did someone pay for it as a sponsored and who sponsored it? And why do you think they sponsored it? Why did mm. they pay for this? Why do they want you to read this? So just really simple steps like that can start super young so that when a child gets older and they're researching on their own and they all, all of a sudden find some article about vaccines, you know, right. Or some controversial topic, they don't just read the headline and believe it they actually maybe read the article, they go to a second site, they look up the author, they find out who that person is, you know, mm -hmm. they do that real, those real basic research steps to make sure that the content that they're reading is stuff they should use for school. Mm. That's such an important bunch of steps. And obviously there's a lot more to it, but understanding that it's not what you see is true. Right. You know, we had that old expression, like if it's in black and white, it's true. It's yeah. absolutely not, you know, that there's, yeah. there's no reason to believe something is true just because it's, it's written there. Yeah. Um, and I like the step back and going, well, who says? Yeah. And the other part of that too, is like, again, it kind of goes hand in hand is what happens on the internet for all of us is we fall into these rabbit holes of it. And it's just like the previous information we just looked at. And that's super typical on YouTube. If a child is interested in something weird, you know, insects or whatever, they're going to watch a video on insects. And then for the next 10 years, you know, YouTube's going to re recommend more insect videos. Oh, so you are so right. Absolutely. Narrow 
window into the world, super narrow. And no, you don't want any child like looking at the world through a microscope. You want them to see all kinds of things. And so for them to understand how that works and how to break out of those filter bubbles, um, that's another part of information or media literacy that's so important to teach kids about. Mm-hmm. Oh, really good. Um, now, given that our kids are doing research and all the stuff is out there, how do we guard against plagiarism? That's. It seems like it would be so easy. There's so much out there to just kind of like, I don't know, cut and paste, not yeah. cut, but like highlight and paste what's there given the pressure that kids are under right now yeah. to succeed and make themselves look good. As we just talked about, I have a, like a good digital reputation. Are there, are there studies about the prevalence of this? Is this a prevalent thing? And, and how do we teach our kids that they have to think for themselves, even though the information's right there? Yeah. So that's another thing we teach kids about, you know, what is plagiarism? What are the consequences of plagiarism and what to do instead of cutting and pasting? And so we do a lot lot of practice on paraphrasing, Mm. a very handy skill for kids to have, especially today when they're looking at things online, how to paraphrase or rewrite or how to cite things that use online appropriately so it's not considered plagiarism. So, you know, it's lessons, just this is how you do it so you don't get caught. And right, because they could just look it up. I mean, there have been times where I've received something from somebody and it's obvious they just literally just cut and paste from a couple of different sites. It's like obvious. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's part of also teaching kids how to be ethical users of the internet. Mm. Um, I love love teaching lessons on copyright because then they understand that, Hey, if you want to be a creative artist someday and create something, how would you feel if someone just took it and used it and didn't give you credit or money for it? Mm. And we really, we do a lot of activities to, to really drive that concept home. And that's another element of it to understand like that might be you someday that's getting your stuff taken away. Um, and the, the last thing I'll say about plagiarism too is there's so many great plagiarism checkers now that teachers use. Yes. Um, and I, oh, I remember when my daughters went off to high school because they they had had cyber civics with me and they were telling me about the kids that got caught plagiarizing. And I thought that's just not fair because those kids should have been taught like in middle school, how to avoid that or what the consequences mm-hmm. would be before they all of a sudden got in trouble. You know? mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. understand how you don't prepare kids for this world. Would you say there should be some specific rules that we should be having in our homes around screen behavior then? I mean, Obviously you're talking about teaching kids, but would you say that there should be some hard and fast rules that we should be teaching them? Well, you know what? Here's how I'm going to answer that question because I could come up with about 800 rules because there's so many topics that we talked about already, but what I'm a big advocate for, and we do this in our classroom and I tell kids that you can do this in your homes too, is come up with norms that your family feels are very important. I'll give you some example. Let's say in your family, um, you don't like it if your kids don't like it when you post their picture without their permission. I know my kids don't like that. So that's a norm that we have. We ask each other's permission before we post pictures of one another. Uh, perhaps another norm that your family could come, come up with is like, let's not text each other after nine o'clock or before six o'clock, you know, or let's turn off our phones at this time. But, but think of things or values that are important to your family let's not call them rules because you want them, you want to come to them together at mm-hmm. 
disagreement with your kids, but things that we can agree to regarding our technology norms that we are going to abide by within our family. Mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. makes life so much go so much more easily, you know, when it comes to technology use. So that kind of goes along with this whole idea of digital leadership, because obviously that's what you talk about and that's what you teach. So what would you say really is digital leadership and what are the key messages that parents should be relaying to kids about being a leader online? I'm glad that you asked about being a digital leader because that's sort of what we're trying to strive for through cyber civics is after these three years of lessons, we want kids to leave and know how to use technology ethically, safely, and wisely, because then they can lead by example. And some of the easy ways to do that is number one, as I mentioned earlier, to remember that behind every screen is a real person with real feelings. Number two is to uh, send your kids off into the world where they know how to do research correctly. They're not citing sources that they uh, are incorrect or full of misinformation. They know how to use uh, other people's work and know how to cite it properly or to paraphrase it. Those are all digital leadership skills we want our kids to have so that they you know, kind of set the standard for the way kids use technology in the future. Mm-hmm. All right, so this might be either repetitive or tough, I'm not sure, but <laughs> after listening to what you had to say today or reading your book or going through a program, what would you be, what would you say is the top tip that you would hope parents would come away with so that they talk to their kids about being digital leaders online, but also the basic skills that help them to be safe and create a positive reputation online? Well, I think that's an easy one. So (laughs) I'm going to give parents an easy answer. When you think about your digital parenting, think about being like a dolphin. A dolphin is curious, playful, yet they're firm and flexible. Pretty simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the idea then is to make sure that you're doing all of those things with your child when you're talking to them and kind of co-investigating this online world with them. Is that right? Yeah. Just to elaborate on that, you know, remember your kids use technology because it's fun. It's where their friends are. And so try Mm -hmm. to remember that, like have fun with them, be curious about what they're doing. But of course, you know, hold your line, be firm about the agreements that you've come up with that we talked about earlier, but also be flexible as they grow and learn more and become more independent online. So all of those things I think are really important in guiding your child towards their own independent digital life. Mm -hmm. Okay. And give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you, your book and the programs you provide? Oh boy. So we're all over the place, but if you wanted to just go to one site, um, cyber civics is our middle school curriculum. It's cybercivics.com. And it kind of gives you the rundown of all the different topics that we talked about today. Mm. There's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot. I mean, we did cover a lot, but I kind of wanted just a a sweeping view of of what we should be starting to talk about. But obviously people who read your book and who go through your curriculum are going to, you know, have a much more in-depth version of what we were talking about today. Right. But I do appreciate you coming on and and helping us 
kind of dissect uh, some of these topics a little bit so that we know what we should be talking about with our kids and what we should be working on with them as they engage in this world and understanding that we don't have the time to be sort of scared of it anymore. We kind of just have to dive in, right? Absolutely. The ship has sailed, whether we want to be on it or not. Right. So we better, we got, we better, we better get on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait for me. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being oh, on the so show. Welcome. And I, I hope to have you back again someday. Well, good luck in writing your book. We're, we're all are very anxious to read it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. You can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com, twitter.com slash Dr. Robin. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. Diana Graber is on all of those things too. We're going to be going back and forth about this podcast so that we can engage you all in conversation. I'll be creating memes that you can share with everybody. There's so many great things that Diana said. So we want to share those so that people are thinking about the and, and talking on your social media sites also about the podcast. That would be great. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can learn about what Diane has been talking about, these solutions she's providing, the curriculum she's providing, her book, and they can use them in their own homes. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please go to drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts up there and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this, you're here, you're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget, parenting so often provides us with moments to do things over. So maybe your child is 14 or 15 and you haven't discussed these things. You can go back and talk to them again, but you know what? Don't wait because now is the time. Yes, you may be a little late, but let's get on in there so that we can help them to understand how best to use the internet, how best to research things online. I'm on the same page as you, and we have that chance, so take it now. I see you, and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parents you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.